Jeremy Edge from Candlelight Red, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody. This is Sam Dunn from Banger Films, and you're listening to the one and only Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Simon Wright from Dio, Dio Disciples and ACDC, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 172 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. Episode 172, we have three special guests joining us on the show. We have from the band Candlelight Red, who had been through Pittsburgh a little while ago with the Uproar Festival. Uh, we have Jeremy Edge joining us. Uh, Sean talks to him. Uh, pretty good discussion, so we'll join that in just a moment. Also, we have joining us on the show, filmmaker extraordinaire Sam Dunn. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Sam Dunn's name, Sam uh, and his company Banger Films were the company that brought you Metal, a Headbanger's Journey, Global Metal, also produced Flight 666 from Iron Maiden, and Beyond a Lighted Stage from Rush, and Metal Evolution, the series on VH1. We talked to Sam about a new project they have, and it's kind of a continuation of an old project. They are looking to do an extreme metal episode of the uh, Metal Evolution series. It was not funded as part of VH1, so they are looking to raise money through a uh, online campaign to help make that. So we're going to talk to Sam about that as well. And then finally joining us, a member of the band's ACDC, Dio Dio Disciples, we have Simon Wright joining us. Simon uh, has most recently worked with uh, Ronnie James Dio before his passing and then has been a part of the Dio Disciples project ever since. We're going to talk about a new compilation that is being released early in the month of October called The Beast of Dio Volume 2, which kind of focused on the latter part of Ronnie James Dio's career. So we'll talk to him in just a moment. So without further ado, let's get into a track from Candlelight Red, this song called Demons from their latest EP, and we're going to talk to Jeremy Edge. Never 
Hey, everyone. It's Sean with uh, Jeremy from Candlelight Red. How you doing today, Jeremy? Doing great, man. Um, so you guys are out on the Upwork Festival. How's that going? Man, it's going unbelievable. Um, just killer crowds, huge crowds, uh, um, great bands all day, and uh, getting to meet a, a lot of a lot of the bands and really really cool people right. to hang out with too. Um, how did how did you guys get the the Upwork gig? Because um, I know, I mean, you guys started out. If we go back in time a little bit. You guys got your I guess big break opening up for Kiss, winning the uh, Guitar Center tour, and then. Um, you did. You, I know you guys did some touring after that. Um, how did the Upwork Festival come about? Well, I think we did. I mean, we did a lot of touring last summer and last fall. You know, we did like two months of Saving Abel. Right. Um, we did a stint with Ten Years and Seven Dust, and um, <clears throat> I think you know, um, I think uh, we actually started, you know, talking about doing maybe doing something with Avalanche and that was all kind of filled up filled right. up and then, and then it just kind of turned into, you know, let's try to, you know, squeeze the band onto the uproar. And uh and it's just been great. A great opportunity. Um the folks at Rockstar and everyone has, you know, right, right. Uh, created for us to, to play in front of a huge audience all across the United States. Yeah, and there's a there's a I mean you're sharing stage with a lot of a lot of great bands. Um, what were you guys most most looking forward to? Who are you most looking forward to playing with? Um, I mean we like all of them. It, it, it's kind of funny how how we'll do it. Just you know you can't watch all of them in one day and still get everything done. So sometimes we'll you know say oh you know we'll go watch Shine Down set or we'll go watch Stain set. Um, but uh, we like really like to catch Pod and Stain like those are. Two of the acts that I think that are some of our favorite as far as you know, it's stuff that we kind of gel with and click with. But right. yeah, they're all great acts on on this tour. I mean, we've been sharing a boss with Red Light King and getting to know those guys, and um, we always miss their <laughs> set. Seems like because they play right after us. But yeah, our, yeah. But I've heard. I mean, their stuff is really really cool too, and it's a different, a way different vibe. Um, it, it, it's it's a killer show. I mean, I don't think we ever just sit in the bus and don't go see any acts. We you always have to go and watch some of the shows. Right, right, right. That's very cool. And and uh, festivals like this are great for you know young bands like you guys and up and coming bands just getting all that exposure. Um, I mean, do you think you know are you guys getting a lot of exposure from this? Are you uh, you know making more fans and whatnot? And you guys get a chance to to meet the fans and what and, and hang yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, usually we get done and we you know attend for as soon as we can, we get to the the merch booth and we we sign posters and CDs and take pictures and we just stay as long as we can. If we can, we'll stay like an hour and just try to meet everybody. And and some of the shows, the outlines have been actually like really long, you know, to a point where I was thinking, is this little, are they in the right line? <laughs> I'm sure they don't think they're under the line for Shine Down or something, but you know, it's been really cool. You know, people have been amped up to, about the band, and it's, we could be happier. Cool, cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, my favorite thing about these festivals is getting to see all these bands, getting exposed to bands that you know you wouldn't necessarily you know see otherwise, and and you know, obviously you guys coming out and all the bands and, and getting a chance to meet the fans. So I know it means a lot to the fans. Um, so it's, I mean, festivals like this, I wish there was more of because it seems like it's like the greatest thing for music. Um, 
But um, yeah, you guys, you know, going back in time, you guys, like I mentioned earlier, opened for Kiss with that Guitar Center thing. Um, and was that before you guys were signed, or was that after you guys? Yeah, signed? yeah. Actually, our fans voted into us into that online, and we won the Pittsburgh competition, opened for Kiss, and uh, you know, they kind of did a similar like Battle of the Bands thing, and uh, they did it in all 22 cities of their tour, and then after the tours over, they picked the uh, <laughs> we picked a grand prize winner, and we we had won the, the grand prize for the whole tour, which was like a guitar center shopping spree. And oh, wow. the, the you know Paul and Jean gave us some killer quotes and said some really nice things about the band, and it was, it was really cool. And I think it was one of the things, you know, a combination of things that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes that like, hey, this band might be going somewhere. And you know, the label kind of stepped up and said, hey, you know, let's you know, let's sign this band and let's record an album and let's get out there and try to do this thing for real now did you have uh, the first album which came out last September The Wreckage did you have some of the songs written before that because if I remember correctly the, the video for Closer came out before the game. right yeah we had like four songs of those already kind of recorded and we had David Ivory remastered remix and had Ted remaster those and and then we recorded uh, uh, like like six more tunes uh, for the record um, down in Philadelphia um, so yeah, that was a big thing too. I think you know we had already kind of recorded closer, and right. we put it on a couple local radio stations, started playing it, and and people started catching wind of that. And I think you know the label was like, "Wow, you, you guys don't even have a record deal. How are you guys getting this radio play <laughs> at seven o'clock in the evening on a Friday?" <laughs> and uh, you know we just got lucky. You know we got a little bit of support and. Uh, the ultimate grassroots campaign. Um, now, you guys actually just released a new EP uh, back in the middle of the August called uh, called Demon, um, and that was produced by Morgan Rose. How did uh, from Seven Dust? So, how did that uh, how did that collaboration come apart? Come you know, happen? Well, I mean, we had met Morgan before, and and some of the guys in Seven Dust, and you know, and you know, me and Jamie played in bands, you know, for a while, and you know. And met the the Lowry brothers and stuff like that, but right. you know when we went on the road with them, you know Morgan got a chance to catch our set like quite a few times, and and he remarked that he liked the band, and uh, you know he also had said on his hiatus he was going to be working with some projects, and he wanted to kind of get into producing and and that kind of thing, and uh, right before we started this tour, I mean uh, we had like a week long window. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of like, man, the wreckage, you know, we recorded that like a year and a half ago, wrote some of the songs two and a half years ago. We wanted to put out something fresh for the summer. And uh, so we uh, called him up and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in, in doing this with us? And he was like, absolutely. He's like, be pumped to do it. So we uh, we went in New Jersey and went in with just a few riffs and a few ideas. And five days later, we had four songs. That's awesome. I mean, so that's obviously a whole different writing process than with, with the wreckage. Um, which process do you prefer? You know, writing I prefer, I, you know, after doing it this way, I kind of prefer the spontaneous approach. Right. I think it's a lot fresher. You know, I think some of the stuff that we we did before it came out really good, but it was almost like by accident. I think you know, you get to those things where you rehearse things to death, and then. Right. You know, I, I think it was one of those things. Like I remember having to, uh, um, with in your hands, on 
the first record, I think we actually resurrected the scratch vocal because we couldn't replicate the same feeling <laughs> when he did the scratch vocal. And there was bleed through from the monitors and other things in the background we had to clean up. But, um, you know, that was the vocal track that had the magic in it. So I think it was cool to do it like this and just, you know, as soon as you got something cooking, you know, start laying it down the table while it's nice and fresh. Right, and sometimes, like you said, you get those happy accidents that's just really hard to recreate later. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know this album, you know, it was a little bit heavier. It was a little bit had more of a raw edge to it. Um, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is like, you know, this is four songs leading up to the next album coming out? or Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, full length uh, with Morgan. And, uh, I mean, this is just kind of a preview. And, uh, I mean, I agree with you to this point. Like, I think we... Uh, we got the lower tune again, and we got some heavy groove and some heavy sound in there too. But I think we also kind of pushed the envelope of right. how melodic and how dynamic we can get. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll probably be doing even more of that. And you know, you'll have, you know, all these songs are kind of like the medium stuff, and we'll have, probably have a lot of some over-the-top stuff. <laughs> right. It's really happy. and we'll have some stuff that has you know lots of killer dynamics and, and melody to it too. Very cool, yeah. Um, you guys going to do the same type of writing process, kind of just go to the studio, or are you guys going to be a little more prepared with the, the so, I think we're, I mean, we're only going to have a window. Morgan's very busy with 7,000 coming out. It's a window of a couple weeks we have to go in, but, you know, I, I mean, I like that. I, you know, we want to get in there and work. You know, you don't want to, after being on tour, like, all year, being away from your families and your homes and stuff, you don't want to be like cooked up in a studio for like six weeks and take your time and and just and messing around you know you want to get in there and get it done yeah yeah um what do you um let's talk about you for a little bit. Uh, who, who are your influences i mean who who do you uh I, I think somebody asked me that the other day like if we were just went like guitar influences i think mine went straight from tony uh tony Iommi and jimmy page to eddie van Halen. Uh, Dimebag Daryl, right, <laughs> so right. it was like the big four. Um, but you know, we like you know, I mean, it's stuff like that. You know, Pantera. I mean, that's a big, that's everyone's big one. You know, but oh, yeah. we like some of the alternative and and you know, just so like a get, like people mix everything. Yeah, we like a mix of everything. I mean, we like the classic rock, the eighties rock, but we also like. Some of the stuff that people used to call new metal, like System of Down and Kane, Corn. I mean, there was some some cool creativity with those bands, and 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 they were very heavy at the same time, you know. Which is, you know, sometimes nowadays, you know, people consider heavy just to be like really fast or really, you know. But it's a lot more than that. Usually, it's you know the yeah. Behind the metal stuff is just like wow, you know. I mean, I. I, I kind of feel the stuff that has like a groove to it, you know, more than just the straight up metal. You know? Right. Um, so you got the new album. You guys going to record that after this tour, and then you guys going to go right back out on the road again, or? Yeah, we're going right back out on the road again. Um, maybe I don't know if they have anything definite yet, but I think maybe one or two of the bands that are on this tour, we might team up and do some dates. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, I'd love to see you guys come through Pittsburgh again. Um, Set the other day was was, was real great, um, but uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know you know you guys were on a couple years ago, so it was great to to catch up with you guys and uh, see how see where you've come. 
Well, thanks for having us back, man. We appreciate it. Cool, yeah, and uh, good luck in the future. Hey, thank you very much. All right, that was Jeremy Edge from Candlelight Red. You can check them out on their website. Uh, just search for Candlelight, which is all one word, Red. Um, looks like they're a big user of Reverb Nation and Facebook uh, for information on the band. You can catch them on tour, I believe, with Fozzie. Uh, they'll be doing some dates. Nothing in the Pittsburgh metro area, but uh, I believe there is a date in Pennsylvania on that leg uh, somewhere. So if you're in a Sound of My Voice and you're a big fan of that song or that band, you might be worth a drive. All right, next up on the show, we have Banger Films uh, filmmaker Sam Dunn. For those of you not familiar with Sam's work, Sam uh, was a anthropology uh, major um, in his education and then uh, also a giant metalhead. Uh, made a film, I uh, can't even remember how many years back, called Metal, A Headbanger's Journey uh, that achieved a tremendous amount of uh, success. I think probably every metalhead out there has seen that movie at some point. And then he followed it up with Global Metal, which if you have not seen, highly, highly recommend. It's a little bit trickier to get on DVD, if I'm not mistaken, because for a while it was out of print. And then uh, went on to produce, uh, caught the attention of both Iron Maiden and Rush, did Flight 666 from Iron Maiden and Beyond a Lighted Stage from Rush, two really cool documentaries. And then most recently has done the Metal Evolution series that was on VH1 Classic. Well, Sam, I kind of put that project to bed, but then uh, a lot of people, as he goes into this interview and talks about, has wanted to see a extreme metal episode, which they really didn't touch on much in those episodes. So what they're looking to do is using a website called Indiegogo. Uh, they're looking to raise funds for the project. So what we did, uh, myself and Rock from Radioactive Metal, which is a member of the Cast Iron Ring, uh, had a little sit down with Sam and talked about the project and how you can get involved uh, financially uh, and things you can actually get for your contribution. So uh, it's not like you're just throwing money at something and getting nothing in return. So check that out. also want to remind you to check out castironring.com. You can find Radioactive Metal uh, with Rock, Snowy, and Liz. Also, you can find Mars Attacks, uh, Signal to Noise, The Bone Hand Heavy Half Hour, Wiki Metal, Hard Radio, Shockwave's Hard Radio, Shockwave Skull Sessions, uh, and uh, Folks on Metal. And I'm uh, praying I didn't forget anybody else in that list, but uh, we've got eight uh, great podcasting teams bringing you stuff from all over the world. So uh, if you're a fan of the hard stuff, uh, it's a website I can't recommend enough, castironring.com. You can go to the iTunes App Store, search for Cast Iron Ring, get the mobile app. And while you're there, why not search out Iron City Rocks in the iTunes Store and get the free mobile app for us as well. So without further ado, from Banger Films, this is Sam Dunn. All right, we'd like to welcome to the show uh, filmmaker extraordinaire Sam Dunn. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, for those not familiar with Sam, Sam uh, produced uh, one of my favorite films probably the last 10 years, The Metal, The Headbanger's Journey, uh, Global Metal, and the series Metal Evolution. Uh, and then throw into that what you did, some Rush DVDs and Iron Maiden DVDs and things like that just for, uh, uh, for effect there at the end. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been busy. Yeah, we did the we did the documentary Flight Six 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 with Iron Maiden, and then uh, the film after that was Beyond the Lighted Stage with Rush. And we've done uh, live concert with with Rush as well. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys do the um, the latest Rush DVD? Was that a banger film? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Time Machine. Yep, yeah, we did that one. Yeah. 
Very well done. The only the only complaint I had there, you guys did shot that in Cleveland instead of Pittsburgh, but <laughs> you know. Well, maybe Pittsburgh should be next, but I don't want to start any rumors. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Yeah, we we, lo- we love our Rush, but I, I know our brothers in Cleveland kind of get the nod for. A, if I'm not mistaken, Rush's one of their first records got played in Cleveland. So yeah, yeah, they I think they they felt it was a good uh, time to sort of give back because it was the city that broke them in the U.S. So yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So we can't fault them for doing that. But uh, yeah. you have a new project you're working on, um, which is kind of a lost episode of the Metal Evolution uh, on Extreme Metal. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what has been done with the project and what you're doing to raise funds? Sure, yeah. Well, um, you know, Metal Evolution was an 11-episode uh, series on the history of heavy metal that was based on our Heavy Metal Family Tree, which we put together way back when we did our first film, Metal Headbangers Journey. And it has 26 subgenres of heavy metal. It breaks it down into, you know, everything from thrash metal to shock rock to early metal to new metal and so on. And, you know, it's always been a really popular thing with fans of, of our work and we've got, ton, we've always had tons of requests. You know, how can I get a copy of it and put it on my bedroom wall and <laughs> so we 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 went ahead and, and made a, a TV series based on the family tree and um, the show did really well uh, you know it hit number one on VH1 Classic in the US and also on much more here in Canada and it's airing on networks you know across Europe and parts of Asia and South America now so it's done done really well for us um, but you know once the the series got out there we we started to get feedback from fans who really felt that an episode on extreme metal was missing mm-hmm. um, I think for a lot of fans especially young ones you know extreme metal is mostly what they listen to when they listen to metal music yeah. um, you know I think that metal is always about pushing things to the next level and extreme metal is kind of that genre that's always testing you know how far can the music get pushed um but you know unfortunately you know some of the networks felt that it was just a little too extreme for their viewers and maybe a little too underground or obscure and so um we decided to move ahead and and try and make it happen a different way. And so we've launched this Indiegogo campaign where we're appealing to metal fans around the world to chip in and and help raise the funds to create this episode. So it's really kind of the first time we've done something like this where, you know, it's sort of appealing to the community to work with us to to bring this episode to light. Sure. Now, do you have um, have you shot any of the material on this, or is this is this sort of an editing product project that you've kind of accumulated footage for what you've done already, or or is this kind of a start from scratch? Sort this of is pretty much a, a start from scratch. Um, you know, we we did touch on elements of extreme metal in our first couple of movies, mm-hmm. but uh, really because Metal Evolution is a is a different approach. It's really about the history of the music and the influence and how different sounds connect from one to another. Um, we we need to go out there and shoot new interviews um, with you know all the musicians and producers and and people that have been a part of making extreme metal happen. So that's uh, you know that's why we need this money so we can get out there and and and, and travel to the places that are an important part of the story and and actually go to the people who. Who made it happen? 
Have you have you already booked uh, some of these uh, interviews so far, or are you waiting for the the project to really to be funded to do any of that? No, we haven't got into any actual production yet. Um, we're you know we're we're hoping that if the campaign goes well, you know, and, and some at some point during the campaign we can sort of say, okay, now let's start moving ahead because you know it looks like we're going to raise the funds. But the good thing for us is that you know we know a lot of the. The, the musicians and people in the extreme metal scene from our previous work, you know, even, you know, Alex Webster, the bass player and founder of Cannibal Corpse, you know, he's a good friend of ours, and he actually, you know, gave us a quote for our press release about how important he thought that this episode was. So, you know, there's a lot of goodwill and support out there for it. And so, you know, because I think all, you know, Primarily because extreme metal doesn't usually get much of attention, <laughs> yeah. so this is obviously a great opportunity for the bands to kind of, you know, probably, you know, probably reach a broader audience than than what they normally would. Now, do you, do you have like a uh, a a band that you're like, if I can get this band for this interview for this uh, episode, it would be the the episode would be like the best ever. Do you have a band in mind that uh, you you know that that you want that you're hoping to get? Oh well, I'm wishing for the impossible, but if we could bring the beloved Chuck Schuldiner back from the dead, <laughs> he, uh, I think he's, you know, he is the great hero of of this subgenre because, you know, we have to remember when death began back in the '80s. You know, there was, you know, the heaviest thing out there was like Slayer, and then I remember hearing the early demo tapes from, you know, Mantis, which was the band before death, and hearing these demo tapes coming out of Florida, and I was like, you know, I was, in, I was, you know, in my mid-teens, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, what is this music? This is incredible. And of course, death went on to, to really expand and do some amazing things. So of course, Chuck, unfortunately, isn't around to talk uh, about it now, but um, he obviously would be the most important person. But besides that, you know, I think, you know, um, you know, people like Bill Steer from Carcass are really important, uh, Barney from Napalm Death, uh, you know, Trey from Morbid Angel, you know, Jeff Becerra from Possessed, um, Tom Warrior from Celtic Frost. You know, these are all kind of like what we like to call the architects of of extreme metal. They're the ones that have kind of really defined, the, you know, they're the ones that planted the roots of this music. And I think for younger fans, it's important to know that, you know, extreme metal isn't really all that new. It's been, it's been going since the mid-80s. And, I, and, I, and it's kind of, I think, an element I'm most excited about is to show where this stuff actually started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are there um, are there guests that you've had, and maybe not just with Extreme, but as a whole, that you would prefer not to work with again? And, and don't name names, certainly. But have you had people that you you know you thought this person's going to work out great for the series, or even the films, that upon further review have turned out to be editing room floor material? Oh uh, well, that's kind of I, I, an unfortunate casualty of of making documentaries is that you know you you. You, you you know you put together a treatment you put together uh, a skeleton and a sketch of what an episode should be and then inevitably people do fall by by the wayside because either 
they're not a great interview or just their particular part of the story doesn't end up coming to fruition like you thought it would. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, I can't really name names because it does happen. Sure. It's, it's part of the documentary process. So, you know, sometimes, you know, unfortunate things um, happen where, you know, take a good example from Metal Evolution. You know, in our second episode, Early Metal US, we had a whole sort of different, uh, an additional chapter where we talked about bands like Thin Lizzy and Bachman Turner Overdrive and these kinds of bands who kind of took rock and metal and, and, and really kind of gave it a big mainstream moment um, in, in, in the 70s particularly. And, you know, these were, these were good interviews and these, you know, these are important bands, but you just realized we've only got 45 minutes to tell the story of yeah. a pretty big piece of, of music history. And so, yeah, you kind of have to just uh, let it let it go. Yeah. Now, do you ever see at some point even maybe a direct-to-DVD to sort of collection of this sort of editing room floor? I mean, you could probably talk 45 minutes on, on Thin Lizzy's importance, you know. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we did, you know, nearly 300 interviews for Metal Evolution, and so clearly there's a lot of stuff that didn't get to see the light of day, and, you know, something we're talking about and exploring that maybe down the road, or maybe, you know, if we could put out a DVD of the Extreme Metal episode, maybe if we can raise a little additional money, we could put some special features and extras from the main sure. series on the disc because we, we didn't get the opportunity to do that before. So, yeah, you know, because there's, you know, there's great stuff from the guys I just mentioned who didn't even make it in the series, and then there's amazing stuff from, you know, everyone from, you know, Alice Cooper to Fred Durst to Lars Ulrich and, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So um, there's definitely there's definitely a big archive at Banger, let me say. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rock. Okay, I was just going to ask, of all the interviews you've done for Metal Evolution, uh, is there anybody in there that after you interview them, you're all done, you're, you're heading back to the hotel or whatever, and you kick yourself because you're like, oh, I should have asked about this, but you forgot. Does that ever happen? Happen? It happens almost every interview. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear that. that happens. Yeah, it happens to us all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, you know, we... You know, <laughs> We try to cover all our bases, but it happens a lot. You know, uh, you know, you lie there at bed at night and go, "Oh, damn! I wish <laughs> we'd followed up on this particular thread." Or we get back in the interview in the edit suite and sort of realize, "Oh, we should have got into this." So, you know, it happens a lot now where we kind of have had to desensitize ourselves to that feeling because otherwise <laughs> we wouldn't get much sleep at night. You know. You have to learn to. You do have to learn to let things go uh, and realize that as long as you're, as long as you're you're well prepared and covering, you know, you get you get the bulk of what you need. Uh, usually, we end up with too much rather than too little. So, uh, I think at the end of the day, we realize that that's that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam, do you have a, a, a distribution set up for this this lost episode, or is it anticipated to do as like a digital download? Yeah, it it it's um that's definitely there will be uh you know a digital download of the episode so it's being it, it'll be it's likely to be released you know a different way than obviously the, the series was and then you know as I mentioned there's the possibility of a, of a DVD down the road but it's really 
it's really too early to say for okay. sure, but at at minimum we know for sure that it'll be it'll be an online uh, release. Okay. And um, just real briefly, can you touch on? I mean, there's some really cool incentives you've got on the Indiegogo site uh, for mm-hmm. for people to donate. Um, do you want to just quickly touch on those? Yeah. So I mean, it, it ranges everywhere from five bucks. You you get you know the digital download as we were talking about uh, of the episode through to you know um, other other incentives where you know you can kind of get a, a, a banger gift package along with a digital download and you, you know you you get a credit in the end credits for for contributing right up through you know um, the well-known black metal photographer Peter Best mm-hmm. taking some amazing photos of the Norwegian black metal scene and we he's you know he's offered to uh, you know some copies of the book which will be signed by him and then right up to the you know the upper end where you know, you get uh, two VIP passes to Vakken Open Air next year, and, you know, we've even got one level where, you know, you can spend a day on the set with Banger, meeting some of your favorite extreme metal musicians, and you can have a question that gets asked of all of all of the interviewees, and then we'll put that together for a DVD for you to keep. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, that's exciting stuff because when I think back to you know when I was 14, that would have been the kind of thing I think I would really love. You know, that'd be like a dream come true to ask, get to ask all my metal heroes uh, uh, a question. So yeah, yeah, those that's, that's kind of gives you guys a taste of of the range. Yeah, even I mean, for five bucks, I mean that's an awesome idea doing the download that way because I mean it's probably going to be at least that much when it comes out. So you know you're really not. You know, spending any more, you're just helping you get the money up front so you can make the film. Exactly, it's sort of helping us cash flow the the, exactly. the project rather than 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 paying for after, once it's made. Yeah, yeah very wise. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens if you don't reach the goal? Let's say by uh, by I think it's December thirteenth is the uh, the deadline. That's right. Yep. So, what happens if you don't reach the uh, your your goal? Well, yeah, we talked about that, and it's always a reality, um, and we kind of have a backup plan. You know, um, Brian Slagle at Metal Blade Records is, you know, a good friend of ours and has always been really supportive of our work, and, you know, he is, he was in Metal Evolution. He was in Headbanger's Journey, you know, and he runs the oldest, you know, the longest-running metal label in, in North America. Um, so he's really important. He's been really supportive, and he's kind of rallied together a few companies Record labels and 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 different equipment, you know, music equipment companies that, you know, if we don't if we don't make the target, then perhaps they can contribute something to make up the shortfall. So yeah, we, we we've got a bat. We you know, we're hoping we can raise everything through through fans who want to see the episode, but we do have a bit of a backup plan there in case it doesn't happen. Wonderful. Well, Sam, I think we've probably taken enough of your time, but we both want to thank you very much for coming on the show and, and talking to us about it. And we'll be constantly reminding the fans to get on Indiegogo and make a pledge. Great. So no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the support, guys. And, uh, yeah, hope to have this out, uh, you know, early next year so we can see the fruits of, fruits of our labor. <laughs> Wonderful. Cool. All right, again, special thanks to uh, Sam Dunn and also Rock from Radioactive Metal for uh, doing the interview with me, as many of you probably listen to Radioactive Metal, and if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Uh, Rock is much, much, much more versed in extreme metal than I. Uh, 
So I figured, why not get the expert on the line with me? Because I wasn't going to have an intelligent question about Cannibal Corpse. So uh, the easiest way for you to get involved with the project uh, is to go to Banger Films website, which is just Banger, B-A-N-G-E-R, films.com. There's a link right on the main page for Episode 12, The Lost Extreme Metal episode. Click on that link and it'll give you all the information on what you can do to get involved with the project. And I apologize on the way into that interview, I failed to mention that Sam and company also did the uh, Rush Beyond, I'm sorry, Rush Time Machine Live DVD, uh, which is a great DVD. Only one issue with it was that it was filmed in Cleveland and not in Pittsburgh, but still a great video. uh, And it's always great how Rush kind of does the video per tour. So if you're unfortunate, you know, can't make a show, you can always catch it on Blu ray. So. What we're going to do now is kind of shift gears to a drummer whose uh, name has been out there with some incredibly major acts over the last uh, 20 years. He was the drummer at one point for ACDC. Um, after uh, Phil Rudd had left the band, uh, he was brought in to uh, kind of fill that drum stool, uh, played on a couple albums with ACDC, left the band um, some years later, went on to be Dio's drummer really until the end. Uh, and what we are talking about is a new package that's available through Niji Entertainment, which is uh, the company that Ronnie's ex-former uh, wife, uh, widow, I should say, uh, started shortly after his death. It's a record label that has done some releases uh, since Ronnie's death, including the Live at Donington, which was a killer package if you're a Dio fan. Uh, this is the second installment uh, of kind of the greatest hits, so to speak, of Ronnie James Dio. This is called The Very Beast of Dio, Volume 2. Um, what's interesting about this album, and we'll get into this in the interview, this isn't really a greatest hits. This isn't you know a live version of Rainbow in the Dark and Holy Diver done in a different way or things like this. This is tracks from the latter part of Ronnie's career, uh, Killing the Dragon, um, some stuff like that, that uh, probably went under a lot of people's radar. Even the biggest metal fans um, in the 90s probably failed to catch every album from Ronnie. Um, so instead of having to scour through used bins and things like that, you can get this package, which really makes a nice kind of bookend the the volume one, which was truly a greatest hits album. So without further ado, let's talk to Simon Wright. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show legendary drummer Simon Wright. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing fine, John. How's things going with you? Very, very well. I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you here on um, what is kind of the eve of the release of, of the newest uh Call it a greatest hits of sorts, uh, the very beast of Dio Volume Two, uh, which features a lot of your drumming. Uh, this collection, uh, obviously, a little bit more of uh, Ronnie's later solo material, uh, to which you played on quite a bit. Um, so it's really great to get a chance to talk to you about that. Um, you you started. Uh, you were born in Europe, correct? Yes, I was born in Manchester, England. Okay, and what? Um, what what do you think kind of first drew you into drumming? I don't really know. I I saw it on the TV. There used to be a program called Top of the Pops on in okay. England, and uh, yeah, I saw that and I thought I'll have a go at that. Okay. And um, early on, I mean, you you played in a band um, that was kind of associated with you know what, it, especially when you were in the United States, for it was the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, you you did a stint with a band called it was. Was it called A to Z? Is that the, the correct? Yeah. Okay. A, A, A to Z or A to Z, as they say over there. Oh, okay. As we say. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you guys? I mean, as far as like, did you have a lot of regional success, or, or 
you know, did you guys even make it to America? No, no, it was it, it was mainly in England. We started off um, um, before I joined the band. They opened up for Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden, and uh, okay. And when and when I joined, we did a single, a forty-five, and we went on the road with a band called Girl School. Okay. Um, and then the band kind of fizzled out. And, yeah. Um, so. Let me ask you this, Anna. You went on. Did you do interim work between the, that band and ACDC? Or did you move right into ACDC at that point? Uh, no, I was in another band. They were. I, what happened after A to, A to Z finished, I moved down to London. Um, I lived in Manchester. I moved down to London. I joined a, uh, another band which was associated with the new wave of British heavy metal. Their name was Titan. Okay. And... Uh, it was during that period that I answered a uh, an ad in the classified section of a local newspaper, and uh, it happened and turned out to be ACDC. So yeah, you know, it just went from there. <laughs> now, when you answered the ad, was it was it kind of an anonymous ad? I mean, because that I can imagine yeah. if, if ACDC put an ad in the paper, you know, with their logo or something, you'd have a trillion people showing up. Yeah, that's true. No, it, it was just, it was a little anonymous. It said something like "heavy drum, heavy rock drummer wanted." If you don't hit hard, don't apply. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was you know no one really knew. I did uh, two auditions, and I didn't know who, who I was auditioning for. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, it was in a really uh, fancy you know upscale rehearsal place in London. So I thought it it must be for something good. But I didn't yeah. realize it was going to be that good. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that had to be. Um, you know, at the moment you realized what. Did, now, did they offer you the position before you knew what the band was, or did you? You know, at some point, you know, it almost sounds like a kind of a hidden TV reality show. You know, where they know. jump on and say, "Surprise, you're an ACDC." I, I know. Mean, I know. It, it was kind of like that a little bit. I, I just got the drum tech said, "Just come with me and come meet the lads." <laughs> and. Uh, I'm walking down the corridor and there's all these flight cases uh, with ACDC on them. And I'm, I, I, I say to him, you've you got to be joking, right? And he l looked at me and smiled and I thought, oh, shit. You know, yeah. oh, sorry, can I swear? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Trust me, if I joined ACDC, I'd say more than oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I just walked in and, and there, you know, there was Mal and Angus and, and Cliff and, uh, but they were really cool, you know. They made yeah. me feel at home, you know. The, 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 you know, the, the shaking soon stopped, and we sort of just got on with things and played a bit, you know. And, yeah. Now you guys, you you joined right. Um, did, did you join in time for the making of the Fly on the Wall album? Yeah, that that was the first album I did with them. Yeah, the, okay. the one before that was Flick of the Switch. Yeah. Okay, and then you did the the um, the movie soundtrack. Um, right. Who me who, and then blow up your video, correct? Yes. Okay. So you were you were with him kind of in the mid '80s to the later part of the '80s. Um, now, was the situation with the band kind of? I mean, was it? Uh, I mean, did you leave the band voluntarily, or was was there something particular um, that, that kind of drove you away from the band, and then had Chris come in at that point? Well, it was a, it was a little bit of both um, because I kind of grown a little bit complacent about the whole thing and mm -hmm. complacency doesn't complacency doesn't work for a band like that you know sure. it's 100 miles an hour 110 percent all the time so um they kind of saw this and i'd been you know dabbling a little bit more with you know playing more drums and 
right. and stuff. And I, I, you know, I just kind of moved on and all. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to get you know play with uh, get an audition with Ronnie and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and it worked out great. You know. So. Now, now stylistically, um, obviously Ronnie's worked with yourself and uh, Vinny and, and you know many other drummers. Ian Pace and, and things like that. Um, does it, was Ronnie's music, I think, a little more allow you a little more freedom as a drummer to kind of explore than, than say, ACDCs did? Yeah, it had been kind of. I'd been messing around with, like I say, drums and stuff, and you know, adding more and playing more mm-hmm. and stuff, and it was it was a it was a good chance for me to move on and. Because that's kind of what I what I was feeling. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to do more than play just four on the floor, and yeah. Ronnie gave gave me that 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 vehicle, so to speak. Sure. You know, um, and um, yeah, it, it it was a great time, and I was I was really excited about things and being able to play more. Sure, yeah, yeah, and that was the you know the one question I, I had had was kind of, you know, as a drummer, you know, ACDC could be a lot of fun, I'm sure. But oh no! It's not to take somewhat, anything away. Somewhat limiting as far as you know what you yeah. can do in the context of the band. You know, you know it, it, there's absolutely nothing bad to say about ACDC, Obviously, I mean sure. their style of drumming is, has been, you know, is iconic. Yeah. You know, it, those songs don't work if you don't play that way. Sure. Um, you know, and there's absolutely taking nothing away from ACDC. It was just the way I was feeling. I, I needed to grow a little bit more. I got in that band when I was really young, and I really needed to develop a bit more, I think. And and, and that's all it was. I'm taking nothing away from ACDC. I, I, they gave me the ride of my life, and and they're just a, you know, brilliant rock and roll band. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing to think now, you know, 20, 20 plus years removed from your stint in the band. That, I know. You know, you know they sell at any arena in the world. You know, and, absolutely. And, they, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there are very few bands that can make that claim. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, you you joined uh, up with Ronnie. Um, was he somebody you, you had met? You know, obviously, I'm assuming you guys probably crossed paths on different tours and things like that. Is that kind of where, where you met, or did you have a mutual friend? Or well, we we did meet before I joined. His band, yeah, okay. we met in we met in '85. We were in there was these big festival shows that were going around called Monsters of Rock. We were headlining, and this particular year in '85, they decided to take it to Italy uh, and Greece, I think, as well. And uh, Dio was on the bill, Ronnie was on the bill on the Italian uh, festival, and I, I got to meet him afterwards back backstage, sat down with him, and just found him, one, you know, such a gentleman and a really funny guy, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he's just. I'm sure everybody will test, attest to it who's met him, you know. He's just like a, a real gentleman and a mm-hmm. smart, smart guy. And uh, I met him a couple of times after that at, like, you know, parties, social gatherings sure. or whatever. And then, then yeah, just through a friend of a friend, it kind of came up. Um, I was ready to leave ACDC, and Vinny was ready to leave his band, and uh, it, it just kind of fell into place. It just kind of happened. So, uh, you know, it worked out, you know, so... Right. It, was, it was just great. Yeah, the time was good. Now you started um, around the Lock Up the Wolves. Was that your first album with Ronnie? Yeah, that was uh, 1990. Okay. Or, or end of 89. Okay. Yeah. And then you you've kind of worked almost simultaneously with Rhino Bucket during that period, correct? Uh no, no. Oh, okay. uh, after um, 
that was after we did after we finished the lock up the wolves for tour run got an um an invitation to rejoin black sabbath and okay. r- rightly so he went ahead and we we ended up we ended up all getting the dehumanizer which is an awesome album you know yeah um but you know we all moved on and stuff and after that i i, I played with rhino bucket okay. which which was which was good fun too that was that was great band you know yeah yeah one of, i think one of the criminal the uh, you know the under appreciation of that band especially you know you're right here in our own country you know i think we kind of overlook them quite a bit and that's unfortunate i agree and then uh you you uh, came back around with Ronnie right around the turn of the century then it did in 2000 for the Magica album. Yeah, I rejoined. Um, he was in the middle of doing the Last in Live tour for the live album. Okay. Like, ni- 1998. Yeah. Okay. Now was was Craig in the band at that time? Was that with Craig Goldie or was that was? No, Tr- Tracy G was playing. At oh, that okay. Point. Yeah. Okay. Um, Craig joined up um, for the Magica. Okay. Um, album and tour. Okay. And then you you were with uh you stayed with Ronnie then until the, the end of the touring or did Vinny kind of come back in there? No, I was run I was in DO uh from then on. Okay. For like thirteen years. Okay. Um, so you worked yeah. with you worked with Doug uh, Aldridge for those not familiar. Yeah, Doug well. was Doug came in, Craig had uh, some uh had left for one reason or another. Mm. Found uh, actually Jimmy Bain found Doug and stuff. So yeah. he was uh, he was in the band. Yeah, yeah, and, and kudos to Jimmy for finding Doug. So, you know he's gone on to make some phenomenal music, both with with Ronnie and then with David uh, Coverdale. Yes. So it's been uh, been a great, he's an amazing guitar player, an amazing person too. Really good yeah. guy. Yeah, very very good. And um, in that period, you know, kind of in the in the late. 1990s. You actually did some work with UFO then, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, how did you, how did you team up with Michael and the? This was with Michael Schenker, correct? At that time, it, it was. Um, again, I answered an ad in a music paper. It always pays to look in those. Yeah, I got to figure out what magazine you. you're subscribing to and get a hold of that. <laughs> I think this one was called Music Connection, if I remember. I think it's only available in LA. Okay. I could be wrong though. But um, yeah, I made a call on the number and I got talking to Michael's manager and we were back and forth for weeks and weeks and it was going to be for Michael's, you know, MSG, Michael Schenker group. Mm. For a long time it was going to be that. But then one week it just changed and she told me it was UFO and they needed me to go to Phoenix to, to play with them and rehearse. So that's what I did. We ended up meeting up in Phoenix and we all got along so well. I think it was the English connection, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was great. A great band. I loved my time in UFO. They're really, really nice people. Michael's a hell of a player. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's another band that I think that, you know, I, I think you know, guys like Eddie Trunk have gone gone a long way to to raise awareness of of UFO in the United States. But another band that, you know, should be playing much larger venues even to this day. So. I agree. Their new album's awesome, and even the one before that, uh, mm-hmm. The Visitor. Yeah. yeah, great stuff. Now you have uh, um, since Ronnie's passing, you have um, you've been doing work with Dio Disciples, correct? Yeah, we we weren't sure what to do after um, after Ronnie passed. I mean, it's 
we all thought about it long and hard and stuff, and we we none of us really knew what the hell to do. But we yeah. knew what we did know was that we needed to do. Felt like we needed to do something. We couldn't just not do anything. It's like when a family member passes, you you don't forget them, you know. Um, yeah. You know, or a family member, you know, kind of has has a business. Even you know, you don't let the business stop. Yeah. Um. You know. Um. We we just wanted to keep going, and we talked long and hard about it, and we we put together Dio Disciples, and uh, it, it, it's done with the utmost respect, and we we have. The shows that we played and the, the tours we've done, people seem to like what we're, we're doing and stuff, and it's done with total respect and mm. and um, it it's kind of works it in in two ways. It's good good for the fans and it's good for us as well. And yeah. you know, it seems to work that way. People are crying and then rocking out. It, it's just a really good time, you know. And yeah, we're not trying to fool anybody here. We're just trying to keep like a celebration of Ronnie and keep his music alive. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, hats off for whomever thought to call Tim Owens, uh, you know, to to take the microphone because that that is not obviously not easy shoes to step into, or even begin to try to step into. And I think uh, in in speaking with the Ripper, he's you know of the mindset he's not filling anyone's shoes here. He's you know paying respect and and doing it in a hell of a way. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he he. He knew Ronnie. He used to t- call him on quite a few occasions. And mm-hmm. Wendy got to, ended up, you know, being his manager as well. And he, Tim's family, so it was a real no-brainer. And what yeah. a voice he's got, you know. He, yeah. And he's he's total respect for Ronnie. He's not trying to be Ronnie, and mm-hmm. never would dream of being Ronnie. But he just really does a great job, you know. He doesn't go over the top, and he pays total respect. Yeah. Now, do you guys, uh, are you planning future runs of shows or anything with him? I know there was, I believe it was last fall, maybe, if I'm not mistaken, you guys came through. I know in the Pittsburgh market, uh, they did a yeah. tour. Yeah, we do. We've got some dates up already. Um, we start at 20th October in Anaheim, California, House of Blues, and uh, we've got a few other uh, California shows in there, too. Um, and we, it goes straight through till the 21st of November, and we'll be adding dates um, um, as I speak, and it should be wrapped up within the next two, three days, I think. Okay. We end up in New York, so we're basically starting on the West Coast and then heading east and stuff. Okay. So we'll uh, keep Ronnie's songs going and yeah, I mean, come out and see us. As far as the lineup, I mean, do you guys just keep it kind of fluid? I mean, obviously, you know, you know, like Rudy Sarzo, for example, I know did shows with you guys and things that, you know, other people have other commitments and things. Is it just kind of, you guys just look at who's available at the time and well, take it, it that it, way? It, it can be a little difficult at times, getting everybody together. Um, yeah, that, that has been a problem, but, you know, we, we, had a, we had a feeling we knew it would kind of like, be that way because everybody yeah. does other things. I yeah. do other things too. So, yeah. but um, when we finally pull everything together, you know, it, uh, it it's great. You know, we're all in the same mindset and mm-hmm. stuff. And we were we were his last band, and we we know what we do. We well, we're pretty sure we know what <laughs> we're doing. <laughs> hey, you got his stamp of approval, so who can argue? Um, any any news in the big noise front? Is that something that you see? Maybe taking off again in the future with uh, Carlos and, and the guys. I I hope so. Um, I had a great time. Um, 
I, I kind of got asked to do that. I guess Vinny started that band. Vinny Apice started mm-hmm. the band, and uh, he was he, um, he started it. Then Heaven and Hell was formed, so he kind of passed them my number. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I guess uh, it's kind of like you know Dio Disciples. People yeah. have always got all this stuff going on. It's hard to get everybody together. Yeah, I know uh, Carlos. Uh, for a while, I know that at least for a while, Rat was making progress on a new album and Phil um, Phil keeps his you know for, for as quiet as sometimes what he's up to is Phil keeps extremely busy so yeah Phil's great I, I miss Phil and Carlos they're great players and good friends yeah yeah great now the the very Beast of Dio did you guys get any kind of votes on, on which tracks were going to be included you know obviously this isn't your standard you know quote greatest hits package per se. Yeah. I mean, did you guys kind of sit down with Wendy, or did Wendy do a lot of the selection of the tracks for this album? Uh, Wendy Wendy did, and uh, she she did. She sat down with Dean Schachtel, her, um, her office manager, and they, mm-hmm. they kind of put it together. Um, you know, um, I, and I think they put together a great selection of songs here. You're right, it's, it's not like a greatest hits. It's a retrospect. I'm pretty sure I'm safe in saying it's a retrospect of the albums yeah. With that. Yeah. You know, it's um you know, those albums were were really strong there's some great strong material on there and I, I think that uh it needed to be uh it needed to see the light of day. You yeah. Know? Um no, I did get shown the list and stuff and I thought, well, there's not not much wrong with that, you yeah. know. Yeah, you can argue. So, yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, it's kind of a neat way to do it because, you know, I think a lot of people you know, you, you don't want to necessarily remember Ronnie as, you know, seven or eight particular songs that everyone knew. Well, uh, you, you're you, absolutely right. That, that, you know, there's so much strong material because pretty much, you know, Ronnie didn't, everything Ronnie did, he, he did 110%. And there's some really strong songs on here. And I think it's, it would fit really well in a, in a Dio fans collection. Yeah. And what's nice, I mean, it, it actually listens very cohesively, too, you know, for a package you know that that spans quite a number of years obviously it, it's still a very you know you're not hearing stuff that sounds like it's from the 70s mixed with things from the you know 1995 it it, it listens as if it would be one incredible album yeah you know? I, well i think that was the thing you know ronnie was always doing stuff where he was trying to evolve a little bit and he was mm-hmm. always just trying to put a different spin on things and stuff and i think it shows in this selection because i think those albums were were, were really important, and, and at some point, sometimes I think they might have been overlooked a little bit. So I think this yeah. is a good reminder of those albums. Yeah, yeah, that was the one thing. You know, unfortunately, you guys couldn't control the 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 record industry in 2002, or, or you know, or how well, you know, no matter how great an album you make in 2002, for example, you know, yeah. metal wasn't selling quite, you know, the way anyone would have liked. So, you know, I know. It, that's I, one of the great things about this is it gives material that, like you said, that could have been overlooked. Exactly, yeah. It, it, things were a little bit, uh, had gone a little bit strange and stuff. I think there was a lot of other commerciality going on with, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is unfortunate, but I think that just happens that way. But yeah. they're all strong songs, just as strong as every album that he's ever did. Yeah. Well, Simon, I want to thank you so much for taking the time on your schedule to talk to us. It has been great to chat with you about this. No problem, John. Anytime, mate. Thanks very much. 
All right, Simon Wright and I, uh, speaking about a week or so ago, uh, really great to get a chance to talk to him, and he's done some phenomenal work, and we look forward to see what he's up to in the future. All right, for those of you uh, who haven't checked us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, and the same goes with twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. Also, ironcityrocks.com, our website that will get you to either of those links, keep you abreast of any concerts and events we have going on. Uh, I already mentioned the mobile apps. Uh, if you're in the iTunes App Store, there's Iron City Rocks and Cast Iron Ring. Both have free apps. Would really appreciate you uh, downloading those. And even more appreciate you taking a moment to give either of them a review. And also, uh, if you could review the podcast, we'd be delighted. Uh, because the more reviews we get, the higher we show up in the rankings and things like that, and the more people that find out about uh the show so we would desperately appreciate that and until next time we want to thank you for listening (laughs) 